0: Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today I am so excited to be welcoming back one of our most popular previous podcast guests, Brittany Keck, Training and Capacity Building Manager for Thrive Sexual Health Collective for Youth. Today, Brittany is going to be answering your parent questions on talking to kids about sexual health. Welcome, Brittany, I'm so glad to have you back
1: yay thank you for having me i'm so excited to be back as well i'm so glad to hear that there was such great feedback last time and i'm ready to to talk through some of these questions
0: i as always am ready to learn from you today and it was just about a year ago that we recorded our first podcast together that conversation covered topics like talking to kids about puberty consent and pornography And then that podcast was really the jumping off point for Thrive's year-long series in Metro Family Magazine, authored by you and Dr. Roniel Matthews, on talking to kids about sex, with each installment focusing on a specific age group of child to really help parents navigate what kinds of conversations we should be having and what information we should be sharing throughout our kids' childhoods. Both that podcast and the full series of articles can be found at MetroFamilyMagazine.com. Throughout the whole series, Thrive has covered a lot of important topics and it really empowered parents to have these ongoing conversations with our kids. So we asked our parent community to share with us what questions they still have, what additional information they would like to hear after reading the series, and we are covering those questions today. So our first question, I love this question because it says to me that parents are really embracing Thrive's mission of positivity and shame free information. Our first question is, how can parents celebrate a child beginning their puberty journey by surrounding the experience with positivity, while also being honest and informative about what they can expect?
1: Oh, that is such a good question. Um, Well, at first I love that they said celebrate, like how can we celebrate our young people as they're growing up and going through puberty? And I think the best way that we can do that is just by having these honest conversations um, so they know what to expect because we've been talking about this since they were toddlers, right? We've been talking about when they said, oh, when can I wear deodorant? Well when you start to go through puberty and that's when your body starts to change in like 10 years right so we start to talk about these conversations really early and that's a really great way to like just keep it a part of the natural flow of our conversation um and then when it happens making it, a lot of, a lot of young people are really nervous they're they don't know what to expect they don't know what's happening they don't know what's going on and being able to say hey i've made it i'm here i'm here at puberty i'm ready uh, now I get to do these things that make me um, somewhat more of a grown-up. Like I'm starting to grow in this way, and and um, I, I have seen, you know, you you I've seen and heard of like the period parties and the other celebrations that families may embrace and do, and I think those are great, um, as long as we're not embarrassing them too much. We don't want this to become like a, a scary thing, an embarrassing thing. But I think that if you're if your child is ready and wants to have something like that and your whole family's in on it, let's do it. Let's have a special dinner. Like, hey, we're here. We're at puberty now. Let's do this. It'd be a really great positive experience for, for them and the whole family um, to be involved.
0: I love that. Um, kind of the idea of following our kids lead there. And yeah, I just, I, I love the framework around the words of celebration and being positive. Um, I think that's so important and what you and Ronnie all have really talked about throughout this whole series so I love that that parents are really zoning in on that. Me too. I love it. Let's talk about the emotional part of puberty so this question kind of stopped me in my tracks because I was thinking oh right as a mom it's not just the physical changes I need to prepare my kids for, but it's the emotional and hormonal changes that I've got to be talking about with them too. So how do we help normalize these emotional hormonal changes with our kids and make sure we're prioritizing that part of the conversation too?
1: That is a really good question. So, um, well, the first thing I would say is we probably, would need to make sure that we understand those changes ourselves. As the caregiver, as a parent, dressed as an adult, we need to make sure that we're understanding what to expect so that when there are these slumps or these you know, emotional times for our young people, we're expecting that to happen. We realize that's going to happen and it's a normal part of development. Um, when they start testing the waters and they start to maybe what an adult may see as like they're sneaky or they're trying to keep things from us, this is all part of them gaining their independence, their brains are changing. Um, is part of the conversation we need to start having um, with them, that it may, you may feel this need to pull away. You may feel frustrated, upset, um, and open that up is a perfect time to start having these conversations. I think it's it's really important to push them to um, multiple trusted adults, not just us as the parent, but who are some other trusted adults we can talk to, um, to help them to navigate through that. Because sometimes whenever it is us as the parent, it's a little hard to pull ourselves away um, and not be in discipline mode or um, you know, guiding them in the, in the right direction, which is our role as their parent. And they still may have questions and they still may have things that they want to kind of parse through without a parent, but somebody who can really help guide and trust. So um, helping them to find that person and letting them know that this is normal, this is okay. Your brain, my brain did it. Your brain's doing it. We have a lot of emotions right now, and it's part of you growing and changing into an adult. And we just need to help them to be responsible, help
0: make it, help make healthy choices here as this is happening. I love that. I think it's hard for us as parents because oftentimes we bear the brunt of our kids' emotions as they're going through puberty, right? Like they're mad at us. They're frustrated with us. They take all the emotions out on us. So it can be really hard, I know, for me to kind of take a deep breath and take a step back and think, is this a battle I need to be having today? Is this something I need to discipline? Or is there a conversation that we need to have because my kid doesn't understand what's going on in their own body right now? Yeah, there's a
1: there's an excellent book out there. Um, Why do they act that way? And it's a great resource for parents to kind of look into what's happening in their brains. Why are they changing? And I think it's that book that talks about, um, you know, the the frontal lobe, the front part of their brain, the decision making piece of their brain isn't developed yet. This is what causes them to be a little bit more reactive. This is what causes them to be impulsive in their decisions. And it's our job as their parents or their caregivers to um, be that frontal lobe for them which can be really challenging if we don't understand this if we don't understand the brain science and what is happening in their brain and why are they doing this and why are they talking like this and what is happening to my precious child that all of a sudden they they it seems like they don't like me anymore but this is also normal um for most adolescents not all go through that phase and not all go through that strong pull and rebellion some do some don't Um, But I think it's really important to realize that if we are understanding this, it can make it a lot easier on us as caregivers and really be thinking about how do I help inform their decisions? How do I get ahead of this and work with them on this decision making together instead of them trying to do this and navigate this by themselves?
0: Yeah, that... um empathy, I feel like when I really stop and educate myself and think back even to what I felt like when I was my child's age, um, when I had, when I approach the situation with empathy, it makes a big difference for me.
1: Oh yeah. Just doing a quick reflection of what was this like for me when I was 14, 15, 16, right? What did I, what was I going through? It can really you know, when you think about what, what happened, what was going on, what kind of questions that I have, what kind of answers, what kind of adult that I need in my life, um, th- those can all help inform us as we're moving through and trying to be an empathetic and um, just really great resource for these for our young people.
0: That's so helpful. Okay, let's talk about another topic that I was thinking back to my own public school education in Oklahoma. What kind of sex education can I expect my child to receive in school? I like I can vividly remember these experiences for me in school and I I don't know if I should say I'm dreading it for my kids but <laughs> Listen, it wasn't great. The sex education I received in school in Oklahoma was not great. So what can I expect as a mom now that my kids will experience in school? And how can I help maybe prepare them for those experiences?
1: So I wish I had a really, really great, solid answer for you. The short answer is in Oklahoma, sexual health education is not mandated. So because of that, it's not the same everywhere you're at. Um, everywhere you go, every school district can be a little bit different with the way they implement sexual health education. So some schools, it's their nurses or counselors or even like a uh, a teacher, like maybe a biology teacher or something, maybe implementing within their own classrooms um, and other places, they are bringing in outside guests to come in. And sometimes it's like a one conversation thing still happening. Other times they're bringing them in to have like a full curriculum within the school. Um, so it depends. It really depends on where you live and what district you're in. And um, there's just, there's so much that plays into it. So the best thing I can tell parents to do is ask. Ask questions, get involved starting at about sixth grade. What's going on? Are we having these conversations in school? Are we not? Um, What does this look like? Usually if there's a sexual health education program going on in the school, there will be permission slips sent out. Um, Oftentimes with those, there's like a, uh, some kind of a parent preview or a person you can reach out to, um, to ask additional questions. I know some programs even offer like a, like a parent preview night where you can come in and you can see the the materials, review it, ask questions then. Um, So get involved. The best way you can know is to get involved and ask questions. Um, Depending on where you live, it will look very different. And the best way to prepare, is really just asking them, where are you at? What are you thinking how are you feeling about this? It's not mandatory in Oklahoma. So while we want to encourage our young people to attend them and ask good questions, um, they may just not be ready. They may be uncomfortable. You may as a family unit may not be ready for them to be learning, um, depending on what's going on in the school. So it's okay to opt out, Um, just really supporting them, support young people on this journey. And like I said, I wish I had like a here, this is what you do, but it just, it looks so different in in every district um, in Oklahoma.
0: But that is a really good reminder for parents that we can ask those questions. That absolutely. We can get ahead of it and we can find out, um, you know, when, what grade, what kind of information will be provided. I have been really impressed with my kids' school district because in elementary school, they have worked with the care center to share the ROAR program, which I was thrilled that they had the opportunity to learn about that. And you're right, there were permission slips that came home and information that parents um, could receive in conjunction with that program. And you can probably give a better description of the program than I can, but it really just teaches kids um, body autonomy and safety.
1: That's exactly what I would say is it's a, it's a great, it's a, it's a body program. It's completely age appropriate for young people to uh, start thinking about safety and and what to say and um, bodily autonomy. Yeah.
0: Um, And my kids loved it. (laughs) They, Good. I had told them a little bit about it, you know, before it was going to happen, and they felt like it was great. So they had really good experiences with it. I do feel like, you know, as you've talked about so much, that elementary age is great because kids are still pretty open with parents and are happy to ask a million questions, (laughs) exactly what they want to know. So it was a really good um, first experience in school for them um, to have. A little bit of foundational sexual health education. Yeah. And hopefully,
1: wherever they are, that'll just continue to build for them as they move through school. Um, But, and I do, something you said made me think of like, it's really important um, to read through those those permissions when they come home and to ask questions because sometimes, and it it doesn't matter what group is coming in or, or what they're doing in school, sometimes it may not align with our values or what we want taught in our home. And so, it is really important to ask those questions and, and attend those parent previews um, I, I just happen to know that some of those programs that do those have a hard time getting parents to come and never get phone calls but have really high participation in their in their classes um, so what that says to me is parents are saying yeah I want them to do this but I don't want to talk about it I have no questions um, and so what I really want to encourage parents to get involved because you are their number one teacher, they, they will fall back on you and come back. And if they can't circle back and ask those questions at home, the lessons they're learning at school may or may not be being reinforced at home. And it may or may not be in line with your values and what you're, what you're thinking you're wanting to be talking about your young person with. So get involved, just really get involved, ask questions. Um, And you can always start just at, you know, at the teacher level, if you have a relationship with your student's teacher, you know, send them an email, what's going on? Um, are you doing anything yet? It's sixth grade. I know puberty is 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 ramping up for most of your students right now. Like what's what's going on here and,
0: and what what can I expect? Such good information, Brittany. Thank you. Let's talk about tweens and teens. This is another really good question that I know a lot of parents deal with. What about wow. our kids they who don't want to talk about sexual health? Of course they don't, <laughs> right? Of course don't. <laughs> they don't. They clam up, they ask us to stop talking about it. How can we help our kids get more comfortable having these conversations or maybe at least listening, but also be respectful of their discomfort? How do we navigate that?
1: I think it's important to not force the conversation. I um, always, always would recommend um, using, using teachable moments. So you heard something on TV or on the radio, or you even saw something in public helping to kind of process through that and those situations first, rather than like, okay, let's sit down, you make eye contact with me and we're going to talk about this. Like that can be really intimidating, especially for a teen and tween, anybody, um, to really have to sit and talk to an adult, even if it is their parent, even if they are confident and have a great relationship, that can still be really hard. So I encourage parents to take those teachable moments, um, be really open, using open-ended, you know, um conversation starters um, like if they're asking questions well where did you hear that from like what do you already know here um, what do you think about that those kinds of questions um, to kind of help the conversation instead of saying well you don't need to know that you're that's just that's just for boys you don't need to know that or you're too young for that or why do you need to know like your tone changes right um, so really asking open-ended questions very early on but if they're not open and they're not wanting to talk that's okay maybe helping them to think about earlier i was talking about helping them find other trusted adults um it's a really hard place to realize sometimes as a parent that your 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 child maybe does not identify you as their trusted adult when it comes to sexual health maybe they want to talk to an aunt or uh, an uncle or you know a, a family friend somebody else who they're a little bit more confident with so help them to think about. Um, who can my trusted adults be? What does that look like? And and try really hard as the parent to not identify them for them because somebody that you have said is a trusted adult and like, hey, you know, so-and-so is my best friend. They're a trusted adult. And you can talk to them that your child may not see them as somebody that they have that true connection with. They may not be trusted to them. Um, So help them to think about a network. I know that's that's a concept that usually adults are looking at networking, but really help them to think about a network of, um, you know, about five people that they can talk to at any given time, who would they talk to about different things and then be okay that it may not be you. They're having these conversations um, regardless of, of, you know, what's going on at home and who they're talking to at home. They're hearing things at school, they're hearing things in, you know, social media, other types of media. So they may not be having that conversation directly with you. And we have to learn to be okay with that. It's okay who, where are you getting your information? If you have questions, you might get them a book and just give it to them. Um, You might say, Hey, this is a really good website. I saw, you know, things like that. If you can drop those little nuggets in there and to help point them in the right direction, I think you're doing great. And they just may
0: not be ready to talk to you. It is really hard. And I, I have both kinds of kids in my household (laughs) who, want to talk and ask all the questions and who don't. So I know that that can be difficult to navigate, but I love the idea of kind of helping them think through, encouraging them to think through those other trusted adults. Um, We are um, big proponents of therapy in my household for all kinds of things. And so that I know for me, that has been valuable, especially for my kiddos who maybe aren't always as willing to have long conversations with me um, about anything, whether it's their mental health or, you know, anything else going on with them. And I love the idea of giving them a book, directing them to a website, um, you know, that I have a couple of books that I've read through as mom and then pass it to my kids and say, if you have questions or you want to talk about this, let me know. But at least I know the information that I'm giving them is like you said, in line with our family values, it's good quality information that I want them to know and then kind of let them make the next step. Yeah. And if,
1: and if you go to Thrive's website, thriveokc.org, they, under the resource tab for parents, there's a book list there. So if parents are wanting to go that route or wanting to use books, um, I think that's a great way just leaving it, leaving it out, leaving it on the table, things like that, so they can start to explore it on their own time. Um, I think that's a that's a really great way to open that door and open that conversation.
0: I think we've talked about before that the car is my favorite place to have hard conversations with my kids. Yeah. It's a good place because you're not you're looking
1: direct. You're looking at the roads and they're looking around and
0: and yeah, it's great. It's great. You have a captive audience and um, you don't have to look directly at each other. That was a lesson that my mom taught me. <laughs> so yeah. it works in many situations. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> they can't run. They can't run from me. they have to stay right here. That's right. And like another thing that I feel like you point out that has been really helpful to me is it's okay to keep these conversations short. We don't have to oh, have yeah. an hour long conversation. We can have A five-minute conversation about something that was on the news or something that they heard at school or something that we heard that's happening at their school so it doesn't have to be long and drawn out
1: no and that's also why i really want to encourage parents instead of having the talk having a lot of conversations over time because a lot of parents will come in and say hey well we've had the talk we had that talk in in sixth grade okay but now they're in 11th grade and and things have changed the relationships with friends, maybe partners, all of that has changed, what they've learned between now and then, what they've heard, seen, talked about, all of that has changed and we need to revisit this again. What does this topic look like now? Um, and, and I wouldn't even recommend waiting, you know, from sixth grade to the 11th grade, right? I'm, I'm talking about a continuous conversation. Um, anytime you see something or you hear something, go ahead and, and address it then, open those doors, be askable, just be have a very positive attitude about the issues that are coming up for them because although we may kind of shy away from it these are it's real for them and it's real life and and they're hearing these things and they have questions and the more positive we can be about it and make it just a part of their normal life the more comfortable they will be addressing things as they come up with us so i just encourage that conversation all the time as, as often as possible
0: Such great advice. Okay. We've talked about having conversations with kids about pornography several times over the course of the series, but it's such an important and often difficult topic that I want to talk about it again today. So specifically, how can parents explain to kids what pornography is and what it isn't? And how can we both prepare our kids for seeing sexually explicit material out in the world because we know they're likely to come in contact with it. So we wanna prepare them, but we also wanna protect them from it to some degree as well.
1: Sure. Um, So I think the first part of that was what pornography is versus what it isn't. And so I think it's really important to be able to explain to them that pornography is adult entertainment, it's for adults, and it's, um, it's typically not showing realistic relationships, so just like another movie might show, you know, everything we see in movies and TV is not real, same goes for pornography and other things that we see on the internet, not everything that we see is real, um, so it's really important to understand that, it's important to go through the topics of consent, and that, you know, what, what does consent look like? How, you know, this is pro- maybe not happening in whatever we've seen as far as pornography. Um, it isn't usually realistic. So I want, I want young people to understand that, that yes, they probably will come across pornography as a young person before they're ready. Um, and it is really important to realize that it is not realistic and it is not usually the most healthy depiction of um, a sexual relationship. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I would always encourage parents to do, and, and I say this oftentimes, is that I cannot overstate how much monitoring we should be doing on, on phones and other tablets, devices, things, anywhere that your young person can go. And uh, when I think about it and I think about a young person going somewhere, I'm not going to let my, my my young person, my child, just go to the mall by themselves. I'm not going to let them just go to a neighbor's house that I've never met. And so you have to start thinking about these how technology works as a physical place. Although they may be safe in their room, they're actually going somewhere mentally. They're going to a different place. They're going to a different location. And we need to be able to kind of monitor that and realize where are they going? What are they doing? I know it's really easy to hand over a phone and be like, yeah, no, go, go get out of my hair while I finish dishes or whatever it may be. Um, But really being intentional about those safeties on our, on our devices, even on our own so that when young people are using them, they can't access content like that. And inevitably they still will, they will still come across that. It's important to know that a lot of there's a lot of pornography out there that is targeted at young people. They, it's 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 on purpose sometimes, a lot of times, and so it's important for us to know that and realize that no matter what kind of safeties we're putting in place and what kind of, um, you know, what kind of rules we're setting in place, we're still going to have to have this conversation. If your young person is using a phone, a tablet able to access social media, we need to be having conversations. We need to be able to say, hey, this may happen. If you see something, bring it to a trusted adult, bring it back, let me know, you won't be in trouble. We'll navigate it, we'll talk about it, we'll shut it down, and I'll get you back to the site you can be on, right? Having conversations like that and realizing that just because they clicked a link doesn't mean that they were intentionally looking for pornography, right? And then we have to also realize that at some point they may They may be accessing it on purpose. They may be accessing it because of curiosity, because it is out there and it is available. And how do we have those conversations and talk about um, safety and consent? And, you know, what values are we trying to talk through here with our family, right? It's all things to think about. And the reality is is that pornography is available and it's out there. And this is not, you know, come back in the 70s when we had to show an ID to get, you know, Access to anything—it's very, very different. Um, you know, young people can can stumble upon it as early as five years old if they have a tablet. So we have to be aware and we have to be ready to have those conversations if we're going to give them access, which most of us will.
0: And yeah. even if our kids don't have a phone or a tablet, they're often around others who do. Even if it's at oh, that's school. such a good point. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Yes. And absolutely, if they're not, if you're not giving your,
1: your, your child access to the internet in any way, shape, or form, they will have access through friends or they will at least hear about it through friends um, at school, wherever.
0: Yeah. And even if they're at school and they have all of the precautions on those devices, they can find a way around. It. Absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. I, I, I think, you know, even for parents who are very adamant that their kids won't personally have access and, you know, if that's the right choice for your family, that's wonderful. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have these conversations as well, because they can still, even unintentionally, even through someone else, access actually explicit material. It's there and other kids know how to access it or accidentally access it. So it's just a I think a different reality for parents today than you know when we were kids, when we were being parented. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for talking through that. Again, I think that's always important for parents to hear about and uh, and to know that we've got to start talking about it. So next let's talk about gender inclusivity. How can I, as a parent, help my child if they don't identify with their biological gender and what are some indicators that it's not just a phase? So the
1: first thing I would say is listen. Listen. Listen listen to your, your young people. Um, validate them, right? Earlier I was saying, like, well, you don't need to know that. Or what, what are you talking about? Really be open. Asking, um, clarifying questions. What's going on? What are you feeling? Why, do you, why you know, what what caused you to ask that question today, or why are you you know really listen, really open that conversation, and help them to navigate how they may be feeling about about this topic, um, and then thinking about it being a phase. I don't. I, I understand. Like we we a lot of times we hear like, hey, maybe it's just a phase, and they're going to grow out of this thing. To me, it doesn't matter if it is or isn't a phase. What what matters is that we're supporting our young person, no matter where they're at, no matter what walk they may be on. Uh, if we support them and it is just a phase, hey, we supported them. We, that's that's what they will remember is that no matter where they were, we were there for them. And then if it's not a phase, of course, I, again, we supported them and we helped them and we got them through um, any any difficult areas or anything they needed to navigate we were there for them so i think that's the most important piece and then of course if this is something that you know that it is really affecting their life i think it would be important to have a network for yourself of trusted adults for you Um, like you were saying earlier maybe professionals with therapy talking through and you know making sure that our therapist has the same values as we do um, to help them navigate through this world Um, and grow up as a healthy and thriving adult.
0: I think it's true often that our kids know more about gender inclusivity than we do. Um, So I, because I think kids are talking about it more in school than certainly I remember experiencing when I was my kid's age. Um, So I love that you said asking them questions and really listening to them because I think um, in many ways, but on this topic in particular, I think as parents, we have a lot to learn. From our kids. Um, So I think it's important to hear what they're talking about at school, what they're hearing at school. Um, And two, I love that you said it doesn't matter if it's a phase or not. Um, I know several families who had kids that wanted to try out different pronouns and so they did and they were supportive of their kids and remembering the pronouns that their kids wanted to to be used they were supportive of their kids with their teachers when they were ready for their teachers to use those pronouns as well and you're so right it doesn't matter if those pronouns stick or not what the child remembers is my parent is supportive of me at home and out in the world yeah absolutely
1: and it's it's how would we support them in anything else right how would we support them if say you know today they were playing in football and then they wanted they decided this year they're going to try baseball it's that simple okay well let's switch let's change let's do what we need to do to make sure you have what you need and be successful at whatever you're doing um just just continue to ask what do you need what do you need from me? And how can I how can I be there for you? And what could we do as a family to support you?
0: And I will add that both Thrive and Metro Family have lists of resources for LGBTQ youth and their families. Some great affirming resources both locally and nationally um, that can give some really good direction uh, and support to families. Absolutely. Let's talk about body positivity. (laughs) So this can be challenging for us as parents, as moms. Um, So as we are talking with our kids, when it comes to body types in particular, how can we make body types more of a neutral subject rather than even unintentionally celebrating one type over another? Basically, how do we help our kids love the skin that they're in?
1: I think the best thing um, to do is comment on their body as little as possible. We um, oftentimes tend to, you know, oh, you're so gorgeous, and you're just such a pretty person, or, you know, whatever, um, which is great and and awesome, and to be affirming But also, what does it look like if we say, oh, man, you worked really hard on your hair today, and just praise the effort? right? Regardless, you're still commenting, Hey, I I like what you did there. And I love your hair today. And, but let's look at, look at, you know, their effort, what they were doing and how they were taking care of themselves and continue that behavior. Um, It can be really difficult. Sometimes you hear out, you know, in public, you know, people talking about bodies all the time and commenting. And that's the number one compliment that, that, that people make it is all on their appearance, um, but let's work and try and reframe that a little bit, and and think about how to positively compliment and affirm in other ways, and not comment on bodies at all if we can if we can help it, and not bring attention to um, their body, because ultimately, even as we're complimenting, as things change, as they go through puberty, well my hair doesn't look like that anymore or, my, or I'm, I don't have the same face, I've got acne, things have changed and they can cause a lot of you know, self-doubt and, and insecurities as they start to grow and things change. So again, as hard as it may be, I would just recommend not commenting on bodies at all unless as a caregiver you need to for hygiene issues or there's something going on that we need to address. Um, other than that, praise their work, praise their effort, the things they're doing. Um, you you know you did great in ballet or you 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 rocked it at baseball those kind of things um really praising effort and work rather than things that they
0: can't really help like their body that is such good advice especially as kids in those tween and teen ages are so uncomfortable <laughs> in their bodies. They feel awkward. They feel uncomfortable. And so you're right that, you know, even when we unintentionally draw attention to how they look, that can be hard for them. And you have to think too, what does that
1: look like if you've got siblings in a home and, you know, you're praising one, you know, one, one of your, your, I keep saying students, but one of one of your children's hair because you like their hair or you know things like that. What does that look like? And how how can we be supportive of everyone all the time? And also asking questions because inevitably they're going to get um, a little insecure, a little awkward, feeling weird about how they're looking. What do you need? Do you need do you need a new shirt? Do you need but do you want to get your ears pierced or you know what are you thinking here? Why are you asking? about this, just really helping them. And if it's something that we can do that's in, in line with our values at home and what, what we're, you know, yeah, sure. Let's go get your ears pierced, or sure, let's, if you're really wanting to color your hair pink, let's talk about what this looks like and, and where we're all comfortable, let's do this. If you can, if, if, you know, support them as they're changing, but also not commenting so much as on the compliment side
0: think the other part of this that's been important for me to really remember and pay attention to as a mom is to not comment on my own body unless it's positive. It, I try so hard to not say anything negative about how I look, what I think about myself, and to only even like obnoxiously, it feels very uncomfortable. Say good things about my body. I really like how I look in this bathing suit. (laughs) What mom ever says that, right? But we're just to carry myself in a way that shows my kids that I'm comfortable in my skin. And I hope that that creates a scenario for them where kind of that's what they're taking from our household out into the world. Because I know that's not the message they're getting everywhere else.
1: Right. I really love that. I really love that being really intentional about your own skin as well, because you're a model, you're the model for them. They are looking at you for everything. And yeah, absolutely. If you, if you can say something awesome about you or someone else, you know, things like that. I know it's really easy sometimes for people to make comments about TV shows and how people are looking or acting, same thing don't comment, don't comment on the bodies. And if that kind of conversation is happening around you or in on TV, talk about it right then. Why we don't talk about bodies and and that person's awesome.
0: Yes, I love that. That's so, so important. Okay, as we close out our conversation today, Brittany, give us an overview of what additional resources parents can find on Thrive's website to really help them feel empowered to continue these conversations with their kids about sexual health.
1: We have all kinds of resources at thriveokc.org. We have resources for, um, for parents, for professionals and for teens. So it's, it, they're really easy to find right there on the front page. Um, there's all these little speech bubbles that are so cute that, that will tell you right where, where to go to get the information you need. Um, we have a clinic locator that I think is really awesome for young people if you're looking for teen-friendly services or parents are trying to find somebody who can be um, really helpful and affirming on this journey through puberty and, and all kinds of issues, that that clinic locator can be really helpful. And then there's a sexual health 101 that I really wanted to bring everyone's attention to because that's probably the information that most people need or it's kind of broken down by topics and, and, and what we're looking for. It's really... Um, easy to navigate. And then there's also a tab for people to get involved in our work. So if you're interested in becoming involved, have questions on how to, how to volunteer, how to help, what can we do, how can we stay in the know, um, go to that tab, fill out the information, and we will be in touch with you on, on all, of, all of the things and, and what we're doing.
0: It's such a helpful website. I cannot recommend it enough. I hope all of our listeners will go check it out. Thank you so much for joining me today, Brittany, for answering all of these parent questions and throughout this whole journey, really empowering all of us to prioritize ongoing conversations with our kids.
1: Absolutely. And thank you. Thank you for working with us and having us here. It's been so awesome um, to
0: get to share some of this information out and work with with Metro family. We've, We've loved every bit of it. It's been so great. And we've gotten such great feedback from families that this is exactly the information they have been looking for. So for our listeners, if that's you, you're looking for more information, you can find Thrive's column on talking to kids about sex at MetroFamilyMagazine.com. Thanks everyone for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.